evening, let's just once again confess our need for the Holy Spirit to come to anoint me and anoint you so we can get the fullness of what God has in store for us. Amen. Father God, once again, we just thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for the individuals that you have gathered into your house this evening. Father God, to hear from you, not from me, but from you. So I pray, God, that you would anoint my mind, anoint my words, anoint my body, so that everything that is done and demonstrated tonight, God, would be under the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, for the listener, for everyone that's here, God, that you would anoint their lives just the same. That you would give them ears to hear, hearts to listen, the courage and the spirit to receive, and then act and do upon your word. Father, we come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, all the things that this week might have brought into our lives to try to get our heart and our mind off of you. So, God, I pray that you would draw us in and draw us near this evening, Father God, that your will and your ways might be accomplished in our lives. We thank you for the word that's about to come forth, God. Let it come forth with clarity and let us receive it with joy in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. Tonight, the title of my message is A Ticket to Tarshish. Taken from Jonah chapter 1. I know you've probably all heard this story a thousand times, but I believe every time we hear the word, God can give us something new, give us something fresh. And I pray that that God gives you a a fresh challenge or a fresh truth. We'll look a little bit at chapters 2 and 3, and I'm not even going to go through all of it. But I would encourage you every time I do a study, read the word. Go home, study it, chew it, meditate on it like we taught last week. Get the fullness of what God is trying to say to us. But I'm going to start in Jonah chapter 1. Uh, Verse 1, we'll go through uh, verse 4 at this point, or verse 3. And it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. He went down to the seacoast and then down to the seaport city of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping that by going away to the west, he could escape from the Lord. But how many of you know there's no getting away from God? Amen. I want us to realize that there's no place that we can go where God can't see us. No place we can go that God can't touch our lives. I don't care how far away it is. There's nowhere we can go to escape from his presence There's nowhere we can hide where God can't see us. And there is no distant land we can travel to in order to get away from God. And yet Jonah tried to do this very thing. The reality is many of us have tried to do the same exact thing. And some of us here might be trying that this evening. And so often, church, instead of delighting ourselves in the word of the Lord, like I talked about last week, uh, instead of inclining to it, Instead of yielding to it, instead of bending with it, instead of coming under its domain, church, and doing what it says, like Jonah, so often we buy a ticket to Tarshish and try to get away from the Word of God so we don't have to yield to the Word of God and so we don't have to do what the Word of God says. But I want us to keep in mind the truth is that there is nowhere we can run where God can't see us, church. So often we live our lives thinking that God can't see. 
So often we live our lives hiding from God's word and running from God's word instead of obeying God's word and doing God's word. And this is the word that I want to bring to you this evening. What we have to keep in mind is that in this passage of scripture, not only did God see the wickedness of Nineveh, he saw Jonah as well. So I want us to think about the foolishness that Jonah displays in this passage of Scripture like so often we do ourselves. Here's what I want us to look at first. God finds Noah, or Jonah, even when I was studying this and going over this, I kept saying Noah instead of Jonah to myself, but, but it's Jonah. So if I say Noah, I'm warning you now, no, I mean Jonah. But God finds Jonah wherever he is at the time, and he speaks to him. God locates Jonah somewhere on the worldwide map. I don't know exactly where he was, but God pinpoints Jonah's location and reveals himself to Jonah in a word the Bible says. Maybe God appears to him physically. Maybe God appears to him in a cloud. Maybe Jonah has a vision, or maybe God appears to him in a burning bush or a similar situation like he did with Moses. I don't know, because the Bible doesn't say. But what it does tell us is that somewhere, someplace, God found Jonah and spoke a word into his life. It didn't matter where he was, God found him and God pinpointed him. And here's what I want us to understand. God found Jonah wherever he was, and he spoke to him, and he said, Jonah, I have seen the wickedness of Nineveh. He says, Jonah, these are my own words. He says, Jonah, as my eyes have wandered to and fro across the whole earth, because how many of you know that's what God does? His eyes wander to to and fro across the earth. But he's saying to Jonah, as my eyes have wandered to and fro across the earth, I have seen Nineveh's sin. I have observed their disobedience and their wickedness, and I want you to go to them. But what does Jonah do? He runs from God's word. He tries to hide from God's word. He disobeys God's word. He shuns God's word instead of, listen, instead of, if you were with us last week, instead of delighting himself in the word of the Lord that came to him, instead of inclining to the word of the Lord and yielding to the word of the Lord and bending with the word of the Lord, even though it was uncomfortable and might not have been what he did, what does he do? He runs from it and he shuns it. He basically despises is it you know what to despise the word of God means it means to not do it when you and I don't do the word of God guess what we're despising the word of God in our life and it's exactly what Jonah did he despised the word of God he ran from it and he shunned it church the Bible says he bought a ticket and went on board hoping that he could go far enough away to the west to this place called Tarshish to where he could escape from God Escape, listen, escape from what? The responsibility of God's word. To escape from God. This is what he thought he did. If I get far enough away, I get away from God's word. If I get far enough away, I won't have to do the word of God and, and, and yield to the word of God and bend with the word of God. So he tried to run away, church. Listen, he thought the same God that already pinpointed his specific location and spoke to him. 
The same God that saw exactly where he was and came to him and gave him a word. He thought the same God that saw the wickedness of the Ninevites, the Bible says, this same God that saw all of that, he thought couldn't find him, couldn't follow him, couldn't locate him if he went far enough away. How silly is that? How silly is that? And yet, it's true. And yet the reality is we find ourselves in that same exact position so often in our lives. It might be silly, but it's true. How many of you know we're silly sometimes? We do some silly things. We think we can get away from God. We think we can hide from God. We think we can fool God and trick God, the creator of the universe. If I run far enough away, shut enough doors, turn off enough lights, go far enough, or God won't see me. It's silly, but we do it all the time. And Jonah did it as well. Unfortunately, church, listen, how many of you know... Remember the word uh, of David in Psalm 39, which says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there, the Bible says. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, in the depths where the dead, in the, the depths of this, you are there too. If I were to rise on the wings of the morning, if I were to dwell on the far side of the sea, even there you are with me, David said. I cannot get away from you. That's a good thing, church. God doesn't leave us to our own silly devices. He's always right there with us, waiting for us to cry out, waiting for us to humble ourselves, waiting for us to call out to Him and yield ourselves to Him, church. But unfortunately, when it comes to our own selfish desires, when it comes to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, when it comes to this thing called disobedience, like Jonah, we actually believe we can hide from God. We actually believe we can get far enough away where He can't see us. We actually believe, like Adam and Eve, that we can find some place in the bushes where God can't see we think there's a bush big enough that I can hide my nakedness behind. We think that there's a darkness dark enough that I can hide my sin behind. But the Bible tells us that darkness is like light to God. There's nowhere we can go where God can't see, church. And Jonah found that out. And some of us have found that out too, church. We actually believe if it's dark enough or far enough away from God where we can't see Him... We think he can't see us. We're like the ostrich and the little baby. The ostrich that sticks its head in the ground, and if I can't see the thing coming after me, it can't see me. And we're like the little child who just it, it, play a little peekaboo. If I can't see them, they can't see me, and the rest of my body is wide open. But that's the way we act. If I can get far enough away from God, if I can wander far enough away into the darkness where I can't see God, He can't see me. You know what, church? We can wander far enough away where we can't see God. We can wander far enough away and run far enough away where we can't feel God, sense God, taste God, touch God, know God. We can run that far away where we can't see God, but you can't run far enough away where God can't see you. And we've got to keep that in mind. I think we often forget that, uh, that He is El Roi. 
I think we forget sometimes that Jehovah God is El Roi. He is the God who sees. I think we forget sometimes in our spiritual lives and in our families and in our marriages and in our business dealings, church, and in our relationships. I think we forget that El Roi sees everything. He sees us in our trials and in our tribulations. He sees us at our best and He sees us at our worst. He sees us when we obey and He sees us when we run away like Jonah did. He sees us at the bars. He sees us in the brothels. He sees us where we shouldn't be, church, and even in the backseat of cars. He sees us. He sees us when we're 16 and He sees us when we're 66. It doesn't matter. He sees us, church. He sees us when we're coming out of our mother's womb. And He sees us when we're going to the grave. He sees us because He is El Roi. He sees us when we lie. He sees us when we cheat. He sees us when we steal. He sees us when we pick up the phone to gossip to our next door neighbor. He sees us when we sit down in front of the television set. And He sees us when we sit down in front of the computer. He sees us when we go on a date. And He sees sees how we treat our mate. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it does. He sees us when we're at the workplace. He sees us when we're in a business deal. He sees us when we rise up and when we lie down and when we walk along the way. Because He is El Roi, the God who sees. He sees everything all the time. He sees more than one thing at a time. He's got eyes in the front, eyes in the back, and eyes all around. There's no way we can escape God, church. We've got to keep that in mind. The reality is, in this story, God saw every step that Jonah took on his way down in disobedience. And I use that word purposely. Because Jonah's journey was a journey that took him down. It's what disobedience does, church. It takes us down. How many of you know that when you disobey God, the only direction you can go is down? When you and I disobey God, when we shun His Word and despise His Word, when we walk in our own ways and do what is right in our own eyes, there's only one way we can go, and it's down, church. When we run from God, no matter where we think we're going and no matter what direction we're taking, there's only one direction you can go, and it's down. Please understand, disobedience never leads you up. Disobedience never lifts you up. It never bears you up. It never builds you up. It never holds you up, church. It does one thing. It brings you down. Disobedience pulls you down. It drags you down. It tears you down. It holds you down. It lets you down. And it keeps you down. That's what disobedience does. And we've got to keep that in mind. It did the same thing in Jonah's life, and I'll show you as we go, church. So listen, when you and I walk away from God, when we walk in disobedience to His Word, when we don't delight in it, but we rather despise it like I said, when we don't walk according to the Spirit and just walk according to our own desires, the only direction we can go is down. Remember, Proverbs 14:12 says, There is a way that seems right unto many, but its end leads only to destruction. Understand what the, the writer is saying here. There is a way that seems right to many. There's a way you can walk that seems right. There's a way that you can walk that feels right, sounds right, smells right. 
All of that church looks right, tastes right, smells right. There's a way that we can go that seems right to many. A way that seems safe. A way that seems secure. A way that seems A-OK to travel. But the reality is its end leads only to destruction, the Bible says. So listen, it doesn't matter how right the road may seem. It doesn't matter how right the road may feel or how right the road may sound or how right the road may look or how right the road might smell or taste to us, church. It doesn't matter how pleasant the road may seem at first. It doesn't matter how lovely the road may seem at first, how delightful or exhilarating or pleasurable that the road may seem at first. The truth is, any road we travel in disobedience to God goes one way. It goes down and it leads us to destruction, church, because disobedience only goes one way, away from God and down to destruction. The reality is when we're disobedient, and most of us have been there, I've been there, I'll be the first to say, I've found my place in in places of disobedience. And you may feel like you're on top of the world while you're in the middle of disobedience. It may seem like everything's great, feel like everything's great, look like everything's great, church. Your relationship may feel so good that it can't be wrong. You may feel like you're at the height of your success. You might feel like you're at the top of the corporate ladder. You may feel like you got the world by the tail and you're the master of the universe. But I want you to understand and know that if you're there without God, you're on your way down. It doesn't matter how high you climb. If you're there without God, I'm telling you, you're on your way down already. And you'll get there in a hurry. If you're on the path of disobedience, you're headed for a heartache. If you're walking in your own ways, you're headed for some hurt, church. Some of us have been there. Some of us have experienced this. The truth is, some of us have already been there. Some of us have already found ourselves on the dead-end road to destruction. Some of us, church, have already felt the pain. Some of us have already felt the hurt and felt the heartache and felt the sorrow and felt the grief. Some of us have already paid the price for disobeying God. And listen, even though we're in the house of God and in a relationship with God, some of us are still paying the price. Because that's the power of disobedience. has the power to destroy our lives. And I'm going to look at that in a second, church. We've got to be careful. Some of us feel like that, church. But the reality is... If it wasn't for the mercy of God, we'd still be there. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be a disgrace today. If it wasn't for God pinpointing our lives and pinpointing wherever it is we were, our lives would be a disgrace. But thank God for His grace that has the power to lift us up even when we're headed down. Amen? This was also experienced by Jonah. He had to go through some junk in order to be lifted up. But we're going to look at that church. If you read the whole story of Jonah's disobedience in chapters 1 and 2, like I said, I encourage you to read it. We discover that instead of obeying God's command and God's plan for his life, he disobeyed God and his life began a downward spiral. Let me just point it out. The first thing God did was ask him to go in a certain direction. The Bible says instead he went down. Bible even uses that word. He went down to the seacoast. 
he went down to the seaport city of Joppa. He found himself a boat that was traveling down to Tarshish, and he hopped on board. And as he continue with the story, you find that Jonah makes his way down the hull of the ship, down to the bottom of the boat, church, thinking he can escape from God, thinking he can get away from El Roi. And then to top it all off, the Bible tells us, after doing all of these things to go down, he descends into a deep sleep, the Bible says, because this is what disobedience does, church. How many of you know that disobedience leads us into a spiritual slumber? Disobedience leads us into backsliding. Disobedience leads us into apostasy. Disobedience puts us to sleep, puts us to sleep to the voice of God and the word of God and the move of God and the spirit of God and the presence of God. Disobedience has the power to deafen our ears and blind our eyes to God church. Disobedience causes God to have to get a little bit louder in your life. And if it's not loud enough, he'll get even louder. You see, when you sow to the wind, the Bible says you'll reap a whirlwind. Because God needs something greater to get your attention. And here's what begins to happen in Jonah's life. It causes God to have to shake a little bit harder and shake a little bit longer. And that's what happens when we find ourselves going down into disobedience. God has to get louder. Louder in our life. You see, the reality is God would love to talk to us just like this in the cool of the day, like he did with Adam and Eve. Just conversed with them and talked with them. Whisper. I think that's what God would prefer to do. But sometimes God's got to raise up his voice. Sometimes somebody's got to put a trumpet to their lips and sound the alarm because someone's going in the wrong direction. Because someone has fallen into disobedience and it's what happens in the life of Jonah. He has to shake him and bake him. He has to try to move upon him. He has to do something to get Jonah's attention in order to turn him around, to get him back on track, to get him to do the will of God in his life, church. It's what he did with Jonah. Jonah 1.4 says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind... Onto the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. But Jonah was in a deep sleep, the Bible says. A violent storm is going all going on all around Jonah. And he's sleeping. He's snoring. Even that wasn't enough to wake up Jonah. Even that wasn't enough to get him to realize where he was. Listen, it's exactly what I said. He was asleep spiritually. And God had to get a little bit louder. But all of this stuff that God tried to do, it, it, it wasn't enough. He actually had to send the, the, the crew and shake him in order to wake him. Had to physically go touch him. You see, the first thing, well, God will work on our surroundings first. In order to get our attention, he'll shake our boat. He'll shake something around our life. But there's coming a time where if that's not enough, God himself will touch your life personally and shake you in order to wake you. Now, I don't want to wait for that, church, because I don't want to find myself in the next stages of discipline that Jonah had to go through. But one of the things that I want you to see is that when you allow yourself to go down this road of uh, this road of disobedience, your life can be torn apart while you're sleeping. 
while you're, while you're asleep spiritually, your whole life could fall apart around you and you not even be aware of it. It's what was happening with Jonah. I'm, he was physically asleep, but he was spiritually asleep, church. And everything around him began to fall apart. Listen, it says that, that the storm was so severe that it threatened to break apart the ship. And Jonah didn't even know it. You can be in the midst of disobedience and not even realize your life is falling apart. You can be in the middle of disobedience and not even realize that everything about your life is being about to be torn in two. So you better be sensitive to the voice of God. Here's what I want you to see. As long as Jonah was heading, even after the the sailors woke him up, even after the captain woke him up, as long as Jonah was heading in the wrong direction, the Bible says that the sea kept getting rougher and rougher and the winds kept getting stronger and stronger. And the reality is that the same thing will happen in our lives as well. Because listen, church, God will stir up whatever sea he has to to get you back to him. God will stir up whatever storm He has to to change your direction in life. God will cause whatever winds to blow against your life and He'll put as much pressure on you as He has to in order to get you back into His will. Because it's in His will where great things are accomplished. It's in His will where you are blessed like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's what God wants to do in our lives. And it's what He's doing with Jonah He sends all of this turmoil and all of this storm for one reason only, to get Jonah to do his will. And he's going to do the same thing in us as well. Listen, how many of you know that running from God brings nothing but storms into your life? I've been there. I know that a lot of you have been there too, church. When we disobey or run away from God, it does nothing but bring storms in our life. Storms, like I said, that have the power to tear your life apart. Storms that have the power to tear your family apart, tear your mind apart, tear your marriage apart, tear your finances about, tear everything about your life apart. Listen, and God will keep doing it or letting it happen until it shakes you enough to wake you and me up. It's not what God wants, but I want you to clearly understand that above everything else, God cares about your soul. God cares about the soul. So he'll allow us to suffer some things in life in order to make sure it is well with our soul. He might have to tinker toy with your finances in order to make sure it's well with your soul. He might have to put you in some fire and put you through a flood all in order to make sure it's well with your soul. That's what's happening with Jonah. The reality is disobedience can rock your world. It can rock your boat. Disobeying God causes nothing but raging seas to come into your life and troubling waters to surround you in your life like it did with Jonah. I want you to understand that disobedience has the power to throw you overboard like Jonah was with nothing, church, nothing to hold to, nothing to cling to, nothing to stand on. And that's where God will let us go. God will let us go so far like he even did with the prodigal son where there's nothing left in our lives. Nothing to hold to, nothing to cling to, nothing to stand on except the word of God and God himself. Some of us have been that low church where there's no one we can turn to, no one we can call on, no one we can count on, no one around to rescue us except God. 
And he'll let us go there, church, just to save our soul, just to get us to be obedient. Disobedience, listen, church, will take you down to a place where the only thing left to do is to call out to God or die. Call out to God or die. It's where Jonah was. Jonah got so low that he had two choices. Humble myself in the sight of the Lord so he can lift me up or die. That was his choice. And God will let some of his people go that far to where that's the only choice they have. And listen, I will bet you 99.999% of the time people are going to call out to God. If they've got that choice, they're going to call out to God. Jonah did that very thing. Three days, three nights in the belly of heartache. Three days and nights isolated and alone. Three days and nights in the middle of stench and darkness. Three days and nights, the Bible says, with seaweed wrapped all around his head. Three days and nights at the very bottom of the sea, at the roots of the mountains, the Bible says, shut off in utter darkness. All of that is what it took in order to push Jonah's heart back to God. I hope I never find myself there, church. I hope God never has to take me that low before my heart turns back to God. I want to respond to God with when, as soon as he... Jeff? Jeff? Yes, Lord, here I am. That's what I want to be. I don't want the winds and the waves if I don't need them. I don't want the trumpet if I don't need them. I don't, I don't want the earthquake if I don't need them. But I'm telling you today, if I ever need them, I hope the earthquake comes. Because I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I'm not saying God bring that on me now. But if I ever was to fall that far away, I pray God brings an earthquake. I pray that someone comes and shakes me in order to wake me so that I can find my way back to God. And it's what he was doing with Jonah. He'll do the same in our life and in the lives of all of those who walk away and disobey church. In chapter 2, verse 5, Jonah says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped all around my head, like I just said. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, remember down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever because disobedience travels in one direction, down. The truth is, Jonah couldn't go any lower except unto death. He could have avoided all the hurt and all the heartache. He could have spared himself all the pain and the suffering. He could have avoided all the sorrow and the seaweed by simply obeying God. But the Bible says he bought a ticket to Tarshish instead. And this is what I'm going to focus on in the last moments that we have. He bought a ticket to Tarshish instead. Verse 3 tells us that Jonah bought a ticket hoping to escape from God. The first thing that I wanted you to see that we've talked on so far is that disobeying God will always bring us down. The second thing I want you to know is that there is always a cost to disobeying God. I want you to look at it. It says Jonah bought a ticket. It wasn't free. It wasn't donated to him. It wasn't given to him as a gift and he didn't receive it in a love offering. He didn't find it on the floor. He didn't win it in a raffle. 
He didn't steal it, and he didn't stand at the street corner to panhandle for it like you see up there at the the ball game in order to get some, some kind of ticket. He didn't pick it up on the street corner. It cost him something to run away from God. And that's what I want you to see tonight, church. It cost him something to disobey God. I don't know what the ticket cost. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it cost him something just the same. And that's what I want you to understand. It might have been a week's wage to buy that ticket. It might have been a day's wage to buy that ticket. It might have cost him a month's wage to buy that ticket. It might have cost him his entire life savings to go that far away from God. Because if you study the geography, it was as far away as he could go. It wasn't some cheap little ticket or some cheap little fare. Let me jump across the the river. It was as far away from God as he thought he could get. And it could have cost him his life wages to get there. His life savings. We don't know, church. But my point is, it cost him something because disobeying God always comes with a price. It comes with a price physically and it comes with a price spiritually. You see, when you and I disobey God, it can cost us our peace. When you and I disobey God, it can cost us our mind. It can cost us our money. It might cost us our health. The reality is when you and I disobey God, it can cost us our marriage or a relationship. For some individuals, when they've disobeyed God, it costs them a career and it costs them a good college. The reality is there's some individuals today and maybe even in the house of God where their disobedience has already cost them their family, it's cost them their friends, and it's cost them their freedom. And they find themselves behind bars because that's what disobedience does. It brings you down, down, down. And it keeps you there until you cry out to God. Amen. But this is the reality, church. For some individuals, they have already found themselves at the bottom of the sea, wrapped in the seaweeds of sorrow, wrapped in the seaweed of trouble, wrapped in the seaweed of pain and heartache and suffering and all those other adjectives that I could tell you, church, because it will always cost us something to disobey God. Listen, for Samson, it cost him his strength, his eyesight, his ministry, and his life because he disobeyed God. For King David, it cost... it. It cost him the life of his firstborn son, if you know Scripture. It cost him, church, the building of the temple, and it almost cost him his kingdom. For Adam and Eve, one bite of disobedience, church, cost them their paradise, cost them perfection, and cost them their place within the garden. Because whatever ticket you buy, when it takes you away from God... It's going to cost you something. And it'll cost you and me more than we think, church. The truth is, you and I will never get what we pay for when we disobey God. You and I will never get what we pay for when we disobey God. I don't know what it cost Jonah to buy a ticket to Tarshish, but please keep in mind, he never got there. He never got there. 
The reality is when you and I buy a ticket to Tarshish's well, when you and I buy a ticket to disobedience, we won't get what we pay for, church. Listen, David thought he was buying a ticket to pleasure with Bathsheba, but it brought him nothing but pain and bloodshed instead. Eve thought she was buying a ticket to knowledge, but it brought her nothing but pain and banishment instead. Jonah thought he was buying a ticket to Tarshish, to the far side of the sea, but it brought him nothing but terrible trouble and a sudden storm in his life instead. The gambler thinks they're buying into a jackpot. The drug addict thinks they're buying a shot of pleasure. The alcoholic thinks they're buying a sip of comfort and a sip of peace. The teenage girl thinks she's buying the love and the commitment of her boyfriend and sleeps with him. The businessman thinks he's buying a ticket to the top, but it will all cost them far more than they think. Far more than they can afford to pay church when they do it in disobedience to God. I don't care how right it might seem. We've already learned that. When it is not according to the will of God, you're going one direction. You're headed for heartache and you're headed for pain. If you don't do it in obedience to God, church, it's going to bring us to a place of pain. What I want you to know, the last place that Jonah ever expected to end up when he bought a ticket to Tarshish was at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a whale. When he went up to the window to buy a ticket to Tarshish, do you think he asked the man, do you think that the man said, well, when you buy this, it's going to take you to the bottom of the sea and to the belly of a whale? It was the last place, last place Jonah ever expected to find himself when he paid the price for his ticket. I want you to understand, church, the last place that the prodigal son thought that he would end up when he got his inheritance with his father was dining with the pigs in a pig pen. It's the last place that he ever thought that he would be. He took his inheritance and he thought it would buy him everything that he wanted, that all of his dreams would come true. And where did he find himself? In the midst of some oinkers. It's what happened. Do you think that when he asked for his father's inheritance and he went to live it up, that he ever dreamed about being in the middle of a pig pen, just hoping to get some pig slop? No. No, church. The last place Samson expected to end up was strapped to a me, uh, wrapped to a mill wheel, standing there naked and blind, walking around in dung and urine. It's the last place this man, powerful man of God, ever thought that he would end up. He thought he was buying a ticket into the lap of Delilah, into the lap of pleasure, into the lap of luxury, into the lap of all things good. And before he knows it, his eyes are plucked out, and he's walking naked, blind, round in circles, stepping in the mess that the animals have left before him. It's the power of disobedience, church. It takes us where we never think we'll go. It might look good up front. There is a way that seems right to many, but its end leads only to destruction because when we will never get what we pay for 
when we disobey God. And we will never end up in Tarshish. Why? Because the devil is a liar. Because the devil is a deceiver. Because the devil breaks every promise that he will ever make. He'll wave some stuff in your face. He'll make you all kinds of promises. But what we've got to be able to do is take off that mask and see the deceiver. We've got to be able to take off that mask and see the liar. We've got to be able to take off that mask and see behind the curtain and realize that he is a thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Not to make you happy and not to make you blessed. The Bible says that Satan roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour, seeking whom he might bring down, seeking whom he might tear down, seeking whom he may destroy. And he'll make every single promise he can in order for you to buy that ticket and pay that price so that he can tear you down and bring you to the bottom of the sea. He'll do all that he can to do that, church. Listen. The truth is the devil's ticket might say freedom, but the destination is bondage. The devil's ticket might say pleasure, but the destination is pain. The devil's ticket might say popularity, but the destination is isolation and loneliness. The reality is the ticket may say success, but the destination is failure and frustration. The ticket may say Tarshish, but the destination is terrible trouble in our lives. Because the devil is a liar and he doesn't keep his promises, church. So the question is, where are we headed today? Are we headed toward Tarshish? Or are we on the way to Nineveh? Are we on our way up? Or are we on our way down? And as I wind this down, as we come to a close, what I want you to realize in this whole story, church, please think about this, is that Jonah didn't run off with a prostitute. Jonah didn't run off so he could visit the bars and visit the brothels and hang out with the hookers. You need to understand that Jonah didn't run off to the porno store or down or or start doing drugs. He didn't run off to rob a bank. He didn't go rob somebody. He didn't go mug somebody. He didn't go kill somebody. He didn't give himself to any vile vice, at least what the word shows us, church. He just disobeyed God. And I don't say that lightly, church, because disobedience is the mother of all sin. And it's exactly what Jonah did. He didn't do what God told him to do. He disobeyed God, and what you have to and I need to realize is that we don't have to be running off doing some vile, wicked thing in order to disobey God. Disobeying God simply means not doing what God has asked me to do. You see, God has asked every single one of us to do certain things. And when we disobey God, we open ourselves up to heartache, church. Disobedience is the mother of all sin. It's the sin that brought us down. Adam and Eve were given rules and regulations, told what to do and what not to do. And they disobeyed God. And sin was born and devastation was born. And we find ourselves in that same exact place, church. Remember Romans 5.19 says that from one man's disobedience, we all became sinners. 
From one man's act of deliberately disobeying God, we all became guilty. But the good news in this whole story is that just like one man made us guilty, one man set us free. Just like one man's disobedience had the power to destroy us all and bring us down, one man's obedience had the power to save us all and to lift us up. Amen? The truth is, just like Noah, we were all destined for destruction. We were all headed on a downward spiral in life. But thank God, grace made its way into our lives just like it made its way to Jonah all the way at the bottom of the sea, church. Grace makes a way. Grace has the power to find you and I no matter where we might be. Why? Because there's nowhere we can go to get away from the presence of God. And if you can't get away from God, you can't get away from His grace. If you can't run away from God, you can't run away from His mercy. It will find you even at the bottom of the sea in the center of a whale. And it's what happened with Jonah. Because no matter where we go, we cannot escape from God. No matter how deep we descend or how far away we try to run, we can't escape the grace of God. And here's where I want to close, church. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From the center of his storm, he cried out to God. From the depths of his despair... He cried out to God. He prayed to his Lord. How many of you know it's a good thing to pray? It's a good thing to pray all the time. The Bible says we should pray at all times. But I want you to understand that it's especially a good time to pray if you find yourself in the belly of a fish at the bottom of a sea. I think it's a good time to pray when you're there. Amen? He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called out for help and you listened to my cry. Yes, here's where the confession comes in. Here's where he begins to understand and confess. He knows God's hand is upon him and what's going on in his life is because of God. And I'm going to insert the word yes a few times because this is what he's saying as I begin to close. Yes, you hurled me into the deep. Yes, into the very heart of the seas. He's confessing he knows God's hand is upon him. He's confessing he knows God's trying to work in his life. And yes, the currents swirled about me. Yes, all your waves and breakers swept over me. Yes, God, I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look toward your holy temple. Yes, the engulfing waters threatened me and the deep surrounded me. Yes, the seaweeds wrapped around my head. And yes, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Because that's the power of grace. Amen? It lifts us up when we're down. It finds us no matter where we are, no matter how far we've wandered, no matter how deep we have descended. And it brings us back to God after wandering away and after running away. But here's the verse I close with because to me it's the most important. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He began to confess. He began to communicate with God. 
grace was released. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He disobeyed him the first time. He went down, 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 down. He cried out to God. God's grace found him in his point of need. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because how many of you know that God is a God of second chances? God is a God that no matter how much we've messed up, no matter how far we've wandered away, as long as we're willing to cry out to God, as long as we're willing to put ourselves before God and say, Yes, God, I know that I've brought this upon myself. Yes, God, I know you're doing this to draw me back. Yes, God, I might be in the middle of all this junk, but I know you've got the power to lift me up. If that's you tonight and you trust God's power to lift you up, I want you to stand to your feet tonight. Because here's what we're going to confess. Wherever you are, there's what we're going to pray at least. We're going to thank God that he's a God of second chances. But what God is asking us tonight is to commit to go to Nineveh. Wherever it is, whatever your Nineveh is, it's just that thing God's asked you to do. It's the will that God has for your life. So tonight, here's what we're saying. God, let your will be done in my life. If I've allowed anything to get in the way, if I've wandered, if I've disobeyed, if I haven't delighted in your word, if I've walked away from you, if there's anything that has kept me from doing your will, God, I'm confessing that tonight. And I thank you for your grace that has the power to bring me back. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Father God, it is sufficient to draw us back. It's sufficient to forgive us. It's sufficient to cleanse us. It's sufficient to renew us and restore us, Father God. Your grace is sufficient tonight. So God, we confess our need for your grace. I thank you, Father, that you are a God of second chances. I'm thankful, Father God, that no matter how far we wander from you or in our foolishness and silliness, think there's some place that we can run to to get away from you, God. I'm thankful that you can find us even there, that you can extend your hand of mercy, that you can extend your hand of grace, that we can communicate with you, Father God, because there's nowhere we can go from your presence. So, God, while we know that you are near, while we know that you are here, while we have the opportunity, God, to make things right with you, we do it tonight, Father God, because today is the day of salvation. Why wait till tomorrow? Why wait till next month? Right now you are extending a hand of mercy and grace, and we reach out to you, Father God, so that you might lift us up. Lift us up, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your grace. And my final prayer, God, is that from this day forward, you would help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. The courage to do your will, the courage to walk in your ways, the courage to step out in faith, the courage to go to Nineveh or wherever it else it is that you call us to so that your will could be done in our lives. Forgive us for our disobedience. Cleanse us, wash us. And give us a clean heart and a clean slate tonight. We give you the praise and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight for His Word? Amen. If you have a special need, as always, I'd be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, heed the Word of the Lord and find your Nineveh. Amen.